Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit northmonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. This morning, I don't know if you can sense it or you can feel it in this room right now, but um, we're going to be all right. Uh, When we look at and we lean into the next generation, there's a lot of different reputations. There's a lot of different words that people are using to describe them. But, but what I want to tell you this morning is that if this is our future, the future is incredibly bright. Not only is the future bright, the reality of right now is incredibly bright. I mean, these guys leading us did such a great job, and they are, they're the next generation. I mean, I mean, the youngest person up here is 16 years old, just so you know. And I won't tell you how old the oldest was, but he's a little older than that. Um, the future is bright. And in fact, we talked about that, that future reality and how it impacts our present lives all throughout the weekend. My name is Shane. I come from Atlanta, Georgia. I get to work for an organization out there that creates resources uh, and curriculum for churches all across the world. Uh, I've spent both volunteer and vocationally a little over 15 years in youth ministry. I started when I was 12. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, that was that was for some of y'all. Um, but now I, I get to spend time in, in different settings like, like this, and I get to spend time around the next generation. And I always, I always start by telling them something that I told them on Friday night, and that, that, that's that I believe that their generations are the best generations on planet Earth right now. And I'm saying that as somebody from an older generation than theirs, but I'm saying it because I believe so much in, in, in not only who they are and in, in, in the positivity that they bring to the world, but also because of what God is doing in the lives of students like the students in your church. It's absolutely incredible. In fact, I think many of the students that are, that are alive today and, and beginning to consider what it means to, to follow Jesus are connecting to this idea that we talked about all weekend long, and it's that Jesus actually invites us to experience full life. Jesus invites us to experience full life. We, we talked about what that looks like and how we begin to move in that direction this weekend. But, but, but I, I want to just catch all of us up on this idea that we began to wrestle with last night for the first time. And you may hear this idea, but, 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 but I know you may have heard it before, but I want you to maybe consider in a new way this morning. And, and it's simply this, that, that Jesus didn't come just to bring us a set of beliefs, Jesus didn't just come to give us a list of things to intellectually agree with or disagree with. He didn't just come to to give us a new worldview or perspective on what we think is right or wrong. Now, all of those things are good and true, but, but the true message of Jesus, the good news that he not only taught, but he demonstrated for us is so much sweeter than that. Jesus didn't just come to bring us a set of beliefs. Jesus came to bring a better way of life, something that was holistic, something that shifted us from the inside out, but ultimately began impacting us in every area of our lives. Last night, the students in your church began to wrestle with that in some new ways, began to ask some questions, maybe began for the first time to make some considerations and some decisions around that, like we saw with baptisms earlier. But, but this morning, I want to take us a little bit of a, a step further in this conversation. Because look, the chances are in a room like this, in the Western world, in the Southern United States, we've heard a message like that before. That, 
that, that may not be an, a new idea. Even if you're brand new to all this church stuff and you're kind of skeptical about it, chances are that you've heard something like Jesus is better or Jesus is the way, Jesus is the truth. Jesus is, is what we all need. Either it's something that was taught to you by your parents, maybe a grandparent, a coach along the way, or something that was yelled at you by a street preacher or a televangelist when those were still a thing a few years ago. Maybe, maybe it's a message that you picked up in a church like this, or maybe not quite like this, but that was a long time ago, and now you're in a very different place in life. And maybe we sit here having heard this message, but wondering, how do we find this way? I mean, if Jesus came to bring us a better way of life, if it's so much more than just a set of beliefs, then how do we actually find it? Does it just stop there? Is it just something to agree with? Or is there more to it? And how do we find the way to a better life, a full, a rich, an overflowing, abundant life? How do we find the way to that in a world that feels so chaotic and confusing and difficult to navigate sometimes? <laughs> I don't know about you, but, but there have been times in my life where I've, I've been prone to getting lost. Would anybody in here say that, that they get lost pretty easily? Um, some of you are looking at your spouses. You're, you're pointing at somebody right now. You're like, yeah, actually, we got lost on the way here this morning. Uh, and that's why we got in a fight. Now we're here, and it's fine. Everything's fine. We've, we breathed in worship. It was great. Look, I get it. I get it. It's a normal human propensity that we have from time to time to get lost. And I'll never forget this one time. when, when, when it, it was a while ago, but when I first got my driver's license, any students in the room recently maybe get a driver's license or you're working toward it, a permit or something like that? Yeah, for sure. Well, here's what we know. Whether you're an adult in the room that, that, that got your license a long time ago or you're a student that is looking forward to it in the future, once you have that little piece of plastic, you know that you have a lot of power. You have a lot of responsibility, and there's a really good chance that you have a pretty poor sense of direction, okay? That's just kind of how it works. Well, I remember when I first got mine, and I thought, gosh, I have all the power I need. I'm mobile now. Like, I can go anywhere I want as long as my parents pay for the gas for it because I don't have a job. Like, it was that reality for me. And I remember one night, I think it was actually after church, I went to hang out with some friends. We got some appetizers um, uh, half off at Applebee's. Shout out Applebee's. I don't know, like, who does that? Anyways, um, <laughs> we, we had our appetizers, and then I got in the car. And, and I grew up, actually, I'm from Atlanta now, but I grew up in Arizona. And if anybody in here has ever traveled or visited Phoenix, the beauty about it is that it's actually on a grid, which means that if you just get on the right road and you keep driving, eventually you'll hit something near where you want to go. It's pretty simple to navigate, or at least I thought. Because this night, I remember getting in the car, having a great night, having all the power of my license, brand new driver, and I started heading in the direction that I thought was home. I was trying to find my way home, but the longer I drove, the less familiar my surroundings became. <laughs> I remember at one point, I just kept driving and driving, and I was in an airport, not like actually in an airport. That would have been problematic for a lot of different reasons. But um, I was driving through a road in the middle of an airport, and I remember thinking, wait a second, I don't live anywhere near 
an airport. Like, how did this get here? When did they build it? That was really fast. Um, and then I remember that I continued to drive a little while longer and, and, and I'm looking to my left and my right and I realized like I'm in the middle of the desert. There are cactus and, and dirt because that, I, I mean, that's what's in the desert, I guess. So there's cactus and dirt and tumbleweed. And I'm like, this doesn't feel anywhere near where I live. Something is wrong. And this, this, students, this was before phones had maps. This was when I was using, uh, at first I had one of those Nokia brick phones, you know, the ones on TikTok that people throw off of buildings and prove that they can survive. Yeah, that, that type of phone. And then I, I graduated to a flip phone, but that flip phone had a screen that pretty much did nothing at all, like if we're honest, especially in a moment like that. So, so, so typically when you're lost in a moment like that, what do you do? You just pull over, you open maps and you find your way back home or that never happened in the first place. But me, I was on my own. My parents didn't even put an atlas in the car. And I wouldn't even know how to use an atlas if there was one. Let's be honest. So I remember being so lost in this moment until I saw the, the beacon of hope that is Walmart ahead of me. <laughs> and I turned into this Walmart and I was just looking for any human being. And I found the first one I could, I could talk to. And I rolled down the window and I just said, hey, where am I? And they shouted out the city or the town, which was not helpful at all to me because I still didn't know the way home. But I did remember using that phone that pretty much did one thing, which was make phone calls. And I got on that phone and I called my dad and, and I, I just, I tried to describe to him what I had been past and what this person at Walmart said to me and tried to, to see if he could help me figure out where I was. But, but, but really the only question that I had for my dad when I had lost my way was simply, what do I do next? Just tell me the next step to take, the next turn, the next street sign to look for. You can tell me about the destination, but, but like, I, I need you to talk through what to do next in order to, to begin heading in that direction. Or, or maybe another way to ask this is simply, how do I find my way? How do I, how do I get to where I know I'm supposed to be? Look, when we're talking about this in the sense of physical direction, sure, there's a lot of solutions out there to help us answer that question. But what about when we ask this same question about some bigger, more significant topics in our lives? In fact, there's a chance in the year 2024 in a room like this that although we figured out how to navigate here and we have smartphones that can help us do that, some of us have this same exact question, but we, we have it about things like life. We go, how do I find my way in life? I, I mean, maybe life has changed for you. Maybe you're in a new season. Maybe you're suddenly an empty nester. Maybe you've become a grandparent for the first time. Maybe you're in a new grade for the first time. Maybe you've moved to town for college and all these things have changed. And, and if you're being honest with us this morning, the reality is that at times you feel incredibly lost about it. Maybe you've become a parent for the first time, which is terrifying, by the way. They just sent me and my wife home with a human. And now I have four of those humans living in my house. And I'm like, how, what? how did this? I, well, not that, but how, I'm here now. And it's just a reality. What do I do? How do I find my way? Maybe, maybe you've been wanting to become a parent, but there's been difficulty attached to that. And you're left wondering, like, 
How do I make sense of life, especially if there's this Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago that promised that I could have life and life to the full? Or maybe, maybe you ask this question uh, around a, a different topic. It's not necessarily, how do I find my way in life? But maybe some of us are asking, how do I find my way when it comes to my relationship with Jesus? Maybe there was a time when you would go, yeah, 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 I, I was committed and connected. I could sense that, that, that Jesus was guiding and leading my life. But now you sit here and you're in a new phase of life and, and things feel cold or God feels distant or there's something happened that makes you wonder if he is still connected and interested and involved in your life. And you sit back now in the way that the world is going and you look out at the chaos and you go, how do I find my way in a relationship with God in a world that is so chaotic and distracting and overwhelming? Like, like, is this whole God and Jesus and church and Christianity thing even helpful for me anymore? Or maybe, maybe the question you ask is, how do I find my way spiritually? Which is some combination of those two, right? When we think about this idea of our spirituality, it's this idea of our, of our life and, and, and the transcendent coming together as one. It's this thing within us that, that cries out for more. It's this thing within us that, that acknowledges that there is a reality that, that is more than what meets the eye, that is bigger and grander than what we could possibly describe. And we live in this world that feels like it is spinning out of control or, or our lives feel like they're spinning out of control or our relationship with Jesus feels cold and distant. And it leaves us wondering, like, I know that there has to be more. But how do I find my way? as I navigate toward it. The reality is, I think a question we all ask from time to time is, when you're not sure what to do, how do you find your way? Now listen, I, I realize that a topic like this one this morning, it can sound a little woo-woo, right? Like as soon as I talk about the transcendent and the spiritual, you're like, this gets mystical and strange. And you're like, I don't really know what to do with this. This is, this is kind of different. But, 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 but the reality is that we are living in a world at a time where people are trying to make sense of life. And they're trying to make sense of whether or not there is a higher power that wants to guide them in a direction. And we, then we have this Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago who said that he was God in a human body and that invited us to follow him in order to experience full life. And, and now we sit here in the year 2024 and we try to make sense of it. And for those of us adults in the room, there's a chance that, that even though we hear this and we're like, look, I was a hippie a long time ago. Like times have changed, okay? Like things are different. It's not the same. The reality is that we are seeing a resurgence in the interest of spirituality in the teenagers, not just in this room, but across the Western world. There, there's this resurgence in, in Gen Alpha and Gen Z, which is basically children all the way through about 26, 27-year-olds that are interested in this idea that there must be more to life. In fact, there's this organization that the organization I'm a part of partners with often called Springtide, and, and they do a lot of research around spirituality and, 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 and young people in the world and in our nation, and here's what they found. They found that 77% of young people claim to be spiritual. It means that they're longing, they're wondering, 
They're curious about whether or not there may be more to life than what simply meets the eye. And the reality is that they're trying to find their way in all sorts of different ways. We are living in a time in 2024 where we're seeing a resurgence in, in, in young people searching out the horoscopes, the zodiac signs, participating in astrology, talking about energy, the power and influences of crystals. And I know, again, all of this stuff may sound incredibly woo-woo to some of us, or, or maybe it's something that we thought about a long time ago, and now we're like, I'm not really sure. But, but here's the reality of this. I think what this shows us is that we as human beings, we long for more. And unless we can find the way, we will do whatever it takes to find a way. So just to kind of center of us all on, on what I actually mean when I use that word spiritual, the, the, the new Oxford American Dictionary defines spiritual this way. Relating to or affecting the human spirit or soul as opposed to material or physical things. Look, whether it was a long time ago or whether it's your current reality, there's something in us as humans that cries out, calls for, desires that there be something out there unseen that leads us and guides us toward hope, toward love, toward a future, and hopefully toward full life. And what we're seeing today in a way that we haven't seen in generations is that we are seeing that spirituality is something that matters to many. Students in the room, those of us that are adults in the room, it is a topic at the front of so many minds and hearts right now. Spirituality is something that matters to many. So, if so many of us feel lost when it comes to this idea, if so many of us are wondering how do we connect to this, how do we move in the direction, how, how do we follow a God who is unseen? Well, the good news is we don't have to try to figure out the answer for ourselves. <laughs> in fact, thankfully, in this movement we call Christianity, which has been, been turning the world upside down over the last 2,000 years, this idea of, of, of spirituality and, and, and having spiritual lives and being formed spiritually and growing spiritually has been a part of the Christian movement since the very beginning. We see it in the life of Jesus, but, but we also experience it through the history of the, the church fathers and mothers who guided this movement to us today. And one of the first ones, this man named Peter, who walked with and talked with Jesus, was one of his closest friends and one of the earliest leaders in this Christian movement 2,000 years ago, wrote something that actually helps us figure out how to find our way today. It's recorded in this book in our modern English Bibles in the New Testament that's called First Peter. This, this, this is a, a letter that he wrote to encourage and help Christians in their everyday lives become more like Jesus, to, to help them figure out what it actually means to live into the promise that Jesus made to give us life and life 
to the full. And in the midst of this letter, we get such practical and helpful advice for how to find our way in a world that can feel chaotic and overwhelming, but, but that way that our spirit longs for at the core of who we are, that eventually guides us in the direction of full life. Here's what Peter writes. First Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Peter writes this. So, Get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Now, for many of us, this has been the message that we've picked up about what it means to follow Jesus. Like We can acknowledge that, that following Jesus is like we need to stop doing some things, right? Right? We've heard that. It's been taught to us. We've, we, we've had people uh, say this in a bunch of different ways. And, and I think we would all sit here and acknowledge and believe that that's true. Like, great. Okay. Yes. If I get rid of evil things, if, if I'm done with deceit and hypocrisy, jealousy and unkind speech, that is going to make my life better. I mean, Peter starts where a lot of us in our Western world and in the United States today tend to start when it comes to what it means to be a Christian. And he goes, hey, if you are going to follow Jesus, some things are going to need to change. You're going to have to leave some stuff behind. But unfortunately for many of us, I know myself included, that's where the message of Jesus ended. It was Jesus wants to give us full life. So just stop saying those words. Stop doing those things. Stop hanging out in those places. Stop being around those people and best of luck from there. But there's so much more than that. Is that helpful? Absolutely. But is that it? No way. Oh, the message of what it means to, to be formed as a follower of Jesus, to grow spiritually is so, so much better than even that. So yes, we have that, but, but Peter doesn't stop there. Look at what he writes next. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. <laughs> Peter's instruction is so practical and, and so helpful for us. All we need to do is think back to what it was like when we were newborn babies. I'm messing with you. That'd be really difficult, right? We're like, what? I have no idea how to do that. And I don't think I want to. It seemed pretty chaotic, right? But, but I do want you to think about a, a baby for a second, like a newborn. Have you ever been around a newborn? They can be the worst. Like they, I mean, let's just be real. Okay. Let's be honest. Sorry if there are any newborns in here. I'm, I see a stroller. I am so sorry, baby, but you, they, they doesn't, he or she doesn't know what I'm saying. So um, it's fine. Anyways, um, I'm going to go over here because I offended a baby and that's just hard to recover from. But anyways, um, what do they do when they're hungry? They cry, they scream, they will do anything right to get that food that they need. They will stop at nothing. You're like, how do you have this much energy? You're so tiny. And you're so loud. Where is this even coming from? But they understand something at the fundamental core of just who they are is this little incredible human. That they need that milk for the nourishment that it will take for them to not only survive, but to thrive. To grow into eventually a child and then an adolescent and, and then an adult. They know that they need it and they will stop at nothing until they can get 
that nourishment. And Peter gives us that word picture to help us understand that in a way that a newborn baby strives and yearns and desires milk, that we as followers of Jesus are intended to do the very same thing. I think in order to really understand what he's talking about here, we have to understand what that word spiritual means in this verse. It can sound again like a whole lot of maybe woo-woo, strange, mystical stuff, but, but that word in, in the Greek and in, in the original language in which it would have been written was a word that meant something closer to the word word. The, the actual Greek word there is logos. And that Greek word is, is used to describe the the core, the essence, the, the fully authentic reality of something or someone. So really what Peter is saying is he's going, hey, if you want to experience the fullness of salvation, if you want to experience the, the full life that Jesus promised us, you have to yearn for and desire the core and the essence of who God is with everything in you. And again, that's helpful, but what do we do with that? I mean, it's helpful that Peter essentially says to us that followers of Jesus prioritize spiritual growth, but how do we actually begin to live this out? In fact, that's a question that many of us, many of us in this room probably have. There's another research group called Barna that's located here in the U.S. And, and, and they did some discovery on the topic of spiritual formation in adults. And what they discovered is that 74% of U.S. adults say that they want to grow spiritually. 74% of us in the room, even those of us that, that, that maybe wouldn't appear to be interested in this or, or, or maybe at first glance would think that, that this talk and conversation of spirituality feels very far off and very strange, there's a chance that, that, that three quarters of us in this room would go, you know what though, I, I am interested. I do think there's something to it, but how do I do it? Well, Peter goes, just desire the core of who God is his very presence and identity, which let's be honest, at first glance does not seem all that helpful. <laughs> I mean, you can't see God. How do you do that? I mean, yes, we have the word that is scripture. And yes, that helps to form us and shape us. But, but is, that, is that where it ends? Or might there be more to what Peter is talking about? Oh, Here's the good news, church. We don't have a God who invites us to follow and experience full life, but then just sets us out here on earth and basically kicks us and says, best of luck figuring it out. We don't have a God who remains distant and far off. We have a God who out of his love for us sent someone to us that changed everything for us. In fact, there's this other guy named John, who's another one of the best friends of Jesus, who writes this, and it connects all the dots in this conversation. John writes, so the word became human 
and made his home among us. <sighs> Peter goes, crave who God is. Crave his likeness. The things that he desires, desire. And if that's where it ends, that's still really difficult. I don't know how to make sense of that. We don't know what to do with that. But God loved us enough to send us a perfect example. Jesus, who many of us believe is actually God in a human body, came to earth and lived out the perfect example of what it means to look like God. He shows us exactly what God is like. And the way that he treated other people, the things that he taught, the way that he viewed the world, the way that he saw himself, he sets the way, he sets the example, and he invites us to follow. And as we become like Jesus, what we begin to recognize and realize is that we begin to experience the full life that he promised, and we begin to look more like God. At the core of who we are, and in our everyday lives. And here's the good news. It turns this idea of spirituality from this really transcendent, unseen, complicated, chaotic, mystical, woo-woo conversation into something incredibly practical. In fact, I would go as far as to say that we can practice becoming more like Jesus in our spiritual lives. That's what we're invited into. That's, can I just say this this morning? That is what being a Christian over the last 2000 years has truly looked like. And I wanna take it even a little bit further this morning. Unfortunately, and I grew up in it, unfortunately, this conversation is becoming increasingly rare in churches in the Western world, and I would say within the United States. Yes, we're talking about the things you should believe, and yes, Yes, like God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son and whoever believes shall not perish but would have eternal life. Absolutely, that is the truth. That is where it begins. But then we're invited on this journey to be transformed and to experience the life that only Jesus could offer us. In fact, there's this author who wrote a book called Screwtape Letters uh, a long time ago, this author named C.S. Lewis. And, and in this book, there's a conversation taking place. It's really fascinating. And it honestly is kind of creepy in some ways, but essentially Screwtape is this chief demon and, and he is discipling this apprentice demon that, that in the book C.S. Lewis calls Wormwood. And they have conversations as they follow around this guy who's trying to make sense of his spiritual life, who's trying to, to figure out what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And there's this statement that C.S. Lewis pens. It is, it is screw tape talking to his understudy, Wormwood. And he says this, and oh, when I heard it, it stopped me in my tracks. He writes this. This is from the perspective of screw tape. There is no need to despair. Hundreds of these adult converts have been reclaimed after a brief sojourn in the enemy's camp. That would be God's camp from their perspective and are now with us. Don't miss this. This is so important. All the habits of the patient both mental and bodily, are still in our favor. The conversion experience, the moment of a decision, the acknowledgement of a belief is incredibly, incredibly important. 
But from the perspective of screw tape, if our habits don't change, we're missing the full experience of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And this isn't about anything legalistic. This isn't a list of do's or don'ts to be in or out with God. No, no, no. This is an invitation into full life. This is an invitation to begin to turn the habits of our daily lives in the direction of the God who created us and invites us to experience a better way of life. So what could this look like? Let, let me just give you, and some of this is going to seem maybe elementary to some of us. No, now I'm offending elementary school students. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. You all are amazing. But to some of us, this may feel brand new. But, but, but let me just give you some examples from throughout history that we see in the life of Jesus, but we also th- see throughout the history of the church of the way that people practiced their faith. Some spiritual practices are things like prayer as a habit. Things like silence and solitude which in a world that is increasingly loud and distracting and noisy is harder and harder to find space for. But it's something that even Jesus, who would, who would go off to pray or who would wake up early and go and be in solitude to, to commune with the Father, something that, that he actually did as a way of spiritual formation. And now we're invited to follow his example. It's, it's things like reading scripture consistently, not just for information, but for the transformation that it offers as we look to the stories in the example of Jesus that are written by some of his closest friends, and then we choose to follow those things in our own lives. It's also things like community. Community is a deeply spiritual practice. Yeah, you might just hang out, play cornhole, have some fun, but this whole journey of following Jesus was never meant to be something that stays in solitude. We need moments of those things, but it's meant to be lived out in connection with other people. And we're invited just like the Christians who have gone before us into practicing things like this. And this is not an exhaustive list. There are so many different things that we could add to this. But as we do, the the whole purpose is not just so we can feel better about ourselves or not because it, it, it makes us any more right or justified or saved in the eyes of God. That is not the case at all. But it's because they transform us to begin to, in our modern world, actually look more like Jesus. And that, that sounds like full life to me. See, you experience spiritual growth when you practice spiritual habits. And for 74% of us in a room, I'm gonna imagine a room like this, that percentage is even higher. It's something that we desire. What if this is the way to discover it? What could this look like this week? Let me just give you a few simple steps as we wrap up to begin to to potentially build some habits in your life that form you to become more like your savior. The first step is to pick your practices. Look, I put a list of four things up there and I don't know about you, but that can feel overwhelming. I have four children and what that means is that my house sounds like a crowded stadium most mornings, right? Like it is the loudest, rowdiest place. We have have boys that are wrestling one another. We have a a princess who is trying to, to paint on herself with Crayola markers. We have like all of it. And my wife and I are just trying to survive, okay? That's the reality of the situation. And it can feel chaotic. But 
But maybe that's why right now I'm in a season of life where silence and solitude isn't necessarily at the top of my list, but scripture reading can be. Maybe for you, there's something going on in your life or your situation. Maybe there's an illness where you need to, to stay disconnected from other people in community, but you could take advantage of the moment and use it for more silent connection and communion with God. I don't know what it looks like for you, but I'm not saying you have to dive into all of these things. This is not jump in the deep end, best of luck, hope you can float. No, 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 no. Pick one, maybe two, that you want to begin to prioritize in a new way in your life this week. And then second, don't overthink it. Start with the fundamentals. Let me, let me, let me show you what I'm talking about. Let me show you what I'm talking about. When I think about starting with the fundamentals, what it means is that we don't have to dive in and, and, and try to perfect these things. And listen, I know that in our culture, like we want to be perfect. We push for bigger and for better all the time. But, but there's another way. I know there's a big game today, but I'm a baseball person. So just, just roll with me, okay? My four-year-old has um, just started playing t-ball. And, and here's what I didn't do. What I didn't do was go, hey, son, um, go ahead and just throw this on. We're going to just, just throw you in the batter's box. Best of luck against this uh, college pitcher. Things will be fine, right? Like, that would be amazing if so. And my future would be very bright, at least financially. Um, but anyways, I don't throw a jersey on him and say, hey, figure it out, buddy. Where do I start him? On a tee. He's playing t-ball. He starts with the fundamentals. But here's what's fascinating. I also spent the better part of a decade working alongside Major League Baseball players. I worked for the Arizona Diamondbacks and I worked for the Oakland Athletics, soon to be Las Vegas Athletics, for years. I worked in the clubhouse, I was in the dugouts, I was around these guys all the time. And every single spring training, do you know where even some of the best athletes, some of the absolute best baseball players in the universe, do you know where they start? On the tee. Every spring, they start on the tee. They start with the fundamentals. So when we have a conversation like this, if we're tempted to think that this is something too basic, too far off from too long ago, or if we're tempted to think like, oh, this is only for the young people in the room because we figured this out. What if the reality is that in the, the, the year 2024 and the way that the world and many of our lives are, we just need to go back to some of the fundamentals. The simplicity of spending a few, time, a few minutes a day praying, reading a, a, few, a, a few passages of scripture, spending time around a few people regularly. Just start with the fundamentals. If you don't, you'll burn out. If you don't, it'll feel so overwhelming that we'll, we'll lose the habits. And if we lose the habits, we miss the opportunity to be more formed into the Christ-likeness that we all long for. So what if this week we just decided to start with the fundamentals? And then finally, I think it's important that as we do this, we continue to give growth time. It's, it's going to take some time, y'all. This is not just a sudden thing. There are some older adults in the room who could attest to this. And in fact, if you are one of those older adults in the room, who have experienced more of the spiritual formation, one of, maybe one of the greatest things that you can do for the younger generations around you is to lead the way in what this looks like. 
help us, please. We need your help. The world is chaotic and confusing and distracting. What would it look like for you to come alongside students like these and show them the way to full life as you've experienced it in practicing your faith in Jesus? And for the rest of us, what if we just gave it time? What if if, if we messed up or we broke the habit or, or, or we missed a day of something that we wanted, we didn't beat ourselves up and give up entirely. We just picked up where we left off and keep moving forward. What I think we'll discover decades down the line is we will wind up in a place where our life looks more like Jesus and our life is more full, just like he promised he would lead us. Two, you experience spiritual growth when you practice spiritual habits. And church, imagine if this is something that began to transform your day-to-day life from the inside out. Imagine if this is what begins to move you forward in your faith. And as your move forward, the community around you is changed by a bunch of people who are walking through their day-to-day lives and reflecting not only the image of God, but the example of Jesus to the world around them. Maybe church, this is what we need more of. Little examples of Jesus walking around this world, doing what he did, becoming more like him, loving other people as he loved. And all along the way, we get to experience the full life that he promised to give us. Let me ask you this question just for you to consider as you head out into your week. What is one spiritual practice that you want to make a habit? Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for this invitation that you give us. Thank you that it is not uh, about any type of legalism or, or any, any need to earn your favor or love. Thank you that it is simply an invitation you give us in, in order to lead us into full life. God, I pray that, that a room of people, adults, teenagers, newborn babies, would begin to experience what it's like to be formed into your image, to be, to be formed spiritually to look more and live more like you. And God, as we do, we pray that you would not only change our lives for the better, but that you would change this community, this state, our country, and our world. As more and more of us take the steps, practice our faith, and become more like you. We love you. We pray all this. Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.